a cage of iron in a circus out of Tijuana. Frazier was their big attraction, and he gave them satisfaction, doing it with talent and with honor, growling for his daily dinner. Welcome to Following the Leftovers, the officially unofficial podcast for The Leftovers on HBO. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 5, titled, It's a Matt, 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 Matt World. Uh, in reference to that old movie, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Yes. Seems, seems like it. Yeah. Uh, some some zany antics happen along the way, much like I, the Have movie. you seen the classic movie? I have, yeah. Okay. Because yeah, it's like a, a scavenger hunt to try to find this place where this guy buried a treasure, and people are trying to do all kinds of improbable transportation to get across the country and find it. And there were, certainly was a lot of that flavor in this episode. Yeah. Very desperate travel here. <laughs> what did you think of it? Uh, I... I think it's really good, but mostly the end. Um, hmm. I don't know how much I enjoyed all the lead up to to the inevitable, uh, you know, transformation of Matt. But mm-hmm. I think the the ends justified the means here. Yeah, I mean, I think this was a big, dense biblical episode of the leftovers which is kind of a hallmark for a matt centric episode sure um and it's also kind of interesting how they bookended like the first matt's introductory episode was this big you know jobian tale uh and the end of this is very similar to how the the book of job resolves well i mean god didn't get killed by a lion but when when Job finally gets God on the line to talk to him, like God doesn't show up and's like, oh man, sorry, oh whew, celestial clerical error. He like takes Job to task for kind of being too uppity in the defense of the Lord's name, and he just he just just goes on this long rant to to Job about how he is like awesome in that biblical sense of the word, and like, look, I made this thing called Leviathan. Can you make it? Fuck no, you can't even hurt it or kill it or disturb it. Look at this other thing, Behemoth made that fucker too. You can't understand or conceive of the power required, and and I am greater than that, and I'm and and just make like you know just blows Job away. Then also cures him and is on his way mm-hmm. uh, and restores his family and his flocks and all that other stuff. And I, I felt like there's a lot of that reaction to, um, to, 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 to Matt talking to this version of God. Like this version of God doesn't care about him being a little boy and suffering, doesn't care that he, he's, you know, and, and he doesn't need, he doesn't need to justify his actions to a guy like Matt. There doesn't have to be a reason. And if there is a reason, it's too awesome for you to understand. Um, I thought that was really great to the extent that it's an, an intentional parallel um, to what is going on here. Um, I also, like, I feel like, because I just, about an hour ago, I read this interview that Matt zoller Seist did with um, Damon Lindelof. Because Damon mentioned to him that he wrote this story with him in mind. Mm-hmm. And they did this big, long thing about how Matt lost his wife 10 years ago, and he had went through this big cycle of grief, and how that he really identified with the Matt character, and how that kind of, uh, like, like Matt's, Matt, the character, 
uh, or Matt, the actual person, um, he wrote a, a eulogy for his wife uh, uh, after 10 years. And Damon read that and it inspired like this episode and how and they do a lot of interesting um the, the, I thought that it, it was really interesting in that it's a kind of like by the end of the interview, it took on the tone of like Job as Matt interrogating God or Damon as God, like the God of the universe. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, are you just making this up? Do you have a plan in referring to the leftovers and also kind of referring to his la- last work and lost? Um, and uh, yeah, also I'm in a weird headspace because then from there I read the the 10 year anniversary of his his wife's desk column, which just kind of fucked me up. So hazards of uh, being a podcaster, I guess. I suppose so. Uh, and I'm working my way through this bottle of the Macallan 12. So great episode, though. I thought it was. Yeah, I'm I'm still a little shaky on the the beginnings of it, but uh, yeah, I think it came around in the end. For the me. other thing is, I feel like the last three episodes of this has got to be like this downhill race, and and it has to, yeah. They had to get something that puts a bow on Matt's experience, and I feel like at the end of this episode, I'm ready for him to do anything. He could. It seems like he's 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 made peace with his faith and whatever's going to happen, and that was something that was important for them to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, as part of this setting the stage for the rest of whatever's going to happen to happen. Like, Matt's been too important of a character to just be a, a, a guest star in the final season of, of The Leftovers. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, he is, like Laurie says in this episode, essentially caused all of this, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. in, in Laurie's mind, and it, we don't know how true that is. You know, Kevin maybe has a destiny. Sure. Uh, who knows? But in Laurie's mind, certainly Matt has been the... the instigator of this whole scenario yeah uh from the very beginning so yeah yeah, i mean you you have to focus on matt he's a huge part of the story and i think uh this episode where it leaves me with matt is very satisfying yeah i agree and it's also you you can think of how infuriating it must be to a professional therapist who you know with 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 rare exception like especially this season has very carefully chosen her words and how she helps uh kevin to have Matt essentially take this guy's delusions and feed into them, it yeah. must be incredibly uh, piss. You know, a pisser. I mean, this is right. the ultimate pisser to have this person um, not only try to undo your work uh, and someone that you presumably care about, but to be kind of such a smug Matt kind of asshole. Yeah, I mean, this episode reminds uh, reminds us that he's the guy that went around in season one publishing dirt on people that disappeared just so people knew mm-hmm. that this wasn't the rapture yeah because i wasn't part of it and i'm the holiest person as goddamn earth i mean yeah i mean matt can in some ways take responsibility for the stuff that uh meg's been doing yeah. as well right i mean maybe last season doesn't happen if matt doesn't interfere with her life yeah in the way that he does so yeah. uh yeah matt's been uh, thorn in the side of the leftover story for a while, and I feel like he's come around to a place where I can at least, um, I mean, I've always kind of understood what he's thinking, mm-hmm. um, but maybe sympathize with him a little bit more. You know, he he's a person who has wanted control over his right. destiny his entire life, but he's been looking in the wrong place for it. Right? right. Um, he's been appealing to some higher power and trying to uh, interpret the wishes of that higher power and then act on that. Whereas if he had just said, things are going to happen, and they're going to unfold the way that the universe wants them to unfold, but I'm going to do what I can to make my life good in the meantime, right? maybe he would have had a better time with, 
with things, you know? True enough. Um, and, and it seems like he's come around to that place at the end of this episode. Yeah, and I let go. The the other thing I th- I appreciated about this episode is it cements the theme of jealousy that's been running through the um, the season, and something that was touched on in this Matt Zoller Seist interview that you know Matt is outraged at what this guy who's proclaiming himself as Yahweh is doing, and at the end he's especially pissed that he's usurped essentially the story of Christ for his own you know quote unquote benefit. Mm-hmm. All the while, this is literally the pot calling the kettle black. Like, everything that Matt is accusing this David character of doing, Matt is doing on at least as grand a scale. Mm -hmm. Um, But he can't can't see that. Or maybe he does. I mean, that's the thing at the end. um, Like, if if he got off that boat and that lion hadn't have killed God... Uh Uh-huh. I wonder if Matt would have been okay, but that th- that 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 curveball at the end with him turning to the camera and saying, "This is the guy I was telling you about." Like, I'm not sure if he's going to hold on to his kind of like emotional and spiritual balance that he gained by the end of the episode, uh-huh. or if this is just going to reboot him and he's going to go into crazy Kevin Messiah mode. I'm yeah. guessing since it's the leftover, it's the, it's the latter. <laughs> could, could be. Um, I don't know. Let, let's talk about that in a second. I wanted to talk a little bit about. Um, you know, Matt, and, and you mentioned this a little bit, um, how Laurie is trying to help Kevin and Matt is interfering with that <laughs> in a very direct way, um, feeding that delusion. Yeah. And that has to be especially maddening to Laurie when, let, let's assume for a second that Matt is um, a little more level-headed and he, he has let go at the end of this episode. Now he's willing to follow what it, whatever comes for him. Laurie couldn't couldn't muster the correct words to make that happen with Matt, right? Like, mm-hmm. she's been trying. She's mm-hmm. been telling Matt, look, this is all in your head. Like, you've got some crazy destiny going on. This this bullshit. You're jealous. Like, all of these things. And David Burton, in some bizarre twist of, like, just the the most ridiculous twist of fate, has somehow gotten through to Matt. Yeah. It really let him get through to himself. Let yeah. him just come to to realize what he's been doing. Uh, but Lori was unable to do that. It's got to be frustrating to Lori if Matt's like all good all of a sudden. Oh, right. how'd that come about, Matt? Well, <laughs> this David Burton guy, the guy I was telling you about, yeah. I beat, I beat God with an axe handle, tied him to a wheelchair, <laughs> right. and then struggled with him. Which also, oh, shit. Um, I'm just putting this con. Um, we talked a lot about uh, Abrahamic religious tradition mm-hmm. and the fact that he gave birth to... Uh, a son who gave birth to a son who then later gave birth to the nation of Israel. Uh, that man uh, was Jacob, and he literally he literally his name Israel literally means struggles with God because uh, God sent down an angel and and the the story goes that Jacob literally wrestled him to the ground and wouldn't let him go until he offered him his blessing, uh, which he finally did because he's a stubborn bastard. Uh, and that's, that's a weak ass angel. I don't want that angel's blessing. <laughs> As too weak of an angel. Um, hey, good point. Good point. If it's a, if, if you just you know all they got to do is get a blessing is wrestle with somebody for you know right. all night long until and if the break I can, of dawn. If I can any wrestle any an angel, given R and B guy can do that. It's true. <laughs> the Kenneth Babyface Edmonds needs to come over and bless me. Uh huh. <laughs> because he's he can go to the break of dawn too for sure. Uh, any of the color me bad or boys the men they 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 can all go till the break of dawn. Um, yeah, uh, I forget where I was going with that. Oh, Matt, he's literally struggling with God in this episode. Yeah, he is. Uh, and he was 
I want to say very nearly touched by God, but he was physically punched by God at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, vicious haymaker to the guts. That was truly a shocking punch. Yep, yep. He was felled by God. Yeah. Uh, there's also other biblical parallel. There's, of course, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess this would be the opposite David in the in the, the lion parking lot. Uh, and, and also that the lion is often been a symbol for like Christ's authority and like, you know, he's the lion that came of Judah and that was a symbol of David and his, uh, dynasty. And, um, I once memorably met a guy out in field service, uh, when I was knocking on doors who claimed that he was the lion of Judah, had his big ass gold ring and spoke to me in tongues. (laughs) It was, it was an experience. He lived it. uh, If you... If you want to know, the actual Messiah lives in Monrovia yeah. in Indiana. So after all this false Messiah stuff with Kevin has dealt with and David, you, you know, the, the, the real line will come out of Monrovia. Uh, <laughs> surely an Axis Monday. I, I, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, this, this show seems like a tailor-made for me at times. Yeah, uh, yeah. All right, before we go much further, i got to tell you guys about something that you might be interested in. Uh, a friend of the show... An artist, George Lampman, did a, a banging T-shirt design for us, and we don't talk about merch here very often. But it's it, the T-shirt's concept is Seventh Day Adventist Church, and it, it's a really cool a lithograph-looking thing of a church flooded in water and it's on fire. And I, it's like one of the favorite my favorite designs I've ever seen. Uh, you can get it in um, various colors and sizes over at merch.baldmove.com for twenty bones, twenty bucks. Uh, if that sounds like the kind of cult that you'd like to join, check it out, merch.baldmove.com. Also, this week, we got the big three, Fargo, Better Call Saul, Leftovers, which I think you're familiar with. Uh, we also have got um, Alien Covenant that we're going to do a pre- pre-release uh, podcast for on Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're a Bald Move club member or bald club Bald Move member, you can get the spoiler-filled edition. If not, you'll just hear our general thoughts about it and the, the movie trailers for the week. We also are doing something on Friday uh, that we've been doing for some time now called Who Won the Week, where we debate about which show had a better showing between Fargo, Better Call Saul, and The Leftovers. Uh, and we also have a community commission podcast uh, that's kind of timely the way it worked out, uh, covering the classic, uh, the first two episodes, I think, or maybe three episodes of Twin Peaks, um, because the reboot's just around the corner. So yeah. I know a lot of people are excited about that, and it'll be interesting because I barely remember Twin Peaks as I was very, very young when I watched it, and you hate David Lynch. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, hopefully it'll be entertaining and not infuriating. Uh, I can't make it. I just know that it'll be covered. So that's what's going on here. You can find all that stuff at baldmove.com. What the hell? Did you do any research about this French submarine and the bizarre show opening that was essentially a whispered French prayer? Uh, Did you see the translation in that? I I have the translation, yeah, here in my notes. Uh, do we want? Do we want to go for a word th- through for for word? Because I felt like the gist is well. The first word is I. How do we interpret that? <laughs> Maybe not word for word. Uh, Let's go chunk by chunk here. So um, what is what would you say is the high? What is the what's the high points here? What is this? And 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 this purports to be the words of the guy who we see. I guess he's the first officer of the French submarine. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how else he would hold the nuclear key. He's the officer of the watch. Or... I saw a screenshot that said. P. Dot Lion on yes. his on his uh, sleeve. Yep. So maybe he's a private. I don't know. He, oh, I thought that maybe he, that was his first. He initial. already has a key. So, but also, lo- I seriously doubt he's just private, right? 
Oh yeah, no, no. And Paul, so that's that's not a naval rank anyway. Oh, okay, <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Um. So I think that maybe it's his, like a Peter or something. Or, um, <laughs> oh, that's but lion, lion. You know, does that have anything to do with Fraser? I mean, thematically, certainly. Yeah. Um. I don't know, like what direct literal context okay. to put it in. I thought it's one of the things where it's teetering on the edge of too cute. Yeah, but it's meant to not even notice, you know? Oh, uh, true. Like, if true. it weren't for the internet, like, picking apart every single frame. Right. I didn't notice it. Right. Uh, it took me going to Reddit. See, I thought it was a Russian, so. and the lion, I actually did notice it um, when I first watched it, but because I was looking to see for, con- I was looking for Cyrillic language, I, and then when I noticed it was not, Cyr- it was English, but it wasn't English. Yeah, it's and French. And then, yeah, yeah. I, I, I finally figured out, I think even the... Uh, the story that's immediately on the news says it was a French submarine, the French government. This, yeah, that, Matt so. says it later. On the phone. Yeah, so I saw yeah. the line, but I didn't process it, and um, until I saw that same thing, and I was like, "Oh yeah, shit!" His name was literally Lion. Yeah, so I don't like this this prayer over the intro thing. Like, it just doesn't that that intro with the prayer just doesn't. They're not connected in mm-hmm. my mind at all. How like are they I not said for, last episode? Well, wait a second. Like I said last episode, this stock standard intro just uh-huh. doesn't connect with the stuff they're putting over it, in my opinion. But I feel like you are being facetious if you say that literally the words of this thing doesn't connect to the action that we open with. Because... That's not what I said. I oh. said the intro. Okay, that's fine. That's <laughs> okay. fine. I I, I, yeah. I want to move past as litigate because I, I cut yeah, all yeah. feedback because I just like I, I, th- I feel like um, the pros and cons have been noted and it's time to move on. Um, yeah. When I when I saw this this first scene here uh-huh. uh, with the guy stripping down and running through the sub, I was just like, "Fuck you, leftovers!" In that like the the most Rust Cole way possible. Oh, like you like fuck it? you. It, it was an awesome scene. I thought so too because it was ridiculous yeah. and over the top, and you know, fed into like our questions about the the nuke at the end or the explosion at the end of last right. episode. Um, it started to explain that. Now, I don't think that's been totally explained based mm-hmm. on the prayer mm-hmm. that we hear. Um, yeah, so get to that. That's yeah, a, maybe I should should read that prayer. The whole the, thing, really? I mean, it's, it's not long. that long. Okay, go for uh, it. I'm the only hope, the last defense of a species on the verge of extinction. The demonologist warned us. These wise truth seers, they said these creatures will come seven years after the first were taken, seven years after the departure, and we were blind, God, blind to what we did not see. Now we stumble on the precipice of destruction. Once this monster is born, we're done because this monster is the end of mankind with its seven heads and seven flaming mouths. We have only one hope, the egg. I found its nest in the demonologist's maps, a submarine volcano. Thank you, God, for technology. In our hubris, hubris, we made the weapon to end all weapons, the nuclear bomb. Now this terrible force may be our salvation if its explosion can break the fragile shell and melt the demons inside. God, may the missile fly straight and true. Let it find the volcano nest and may the egg be unhatched so these unborn beasts can be destroyed before they rise to destroy the world. So Wow, there's some demonology happening here. Yeah, so this guy apparently has his little his little thing that he's trying to do to ward off the apocalypse is blowing up this island that's a dormant volcano that he thinks houses the egg that contains these demons. Right. And then, you know, the other connection to demon is the demon Azrael that Nora's supposed to be a conduit for. Um mm-hmm. what so what what's what's the now there's a plane reading where Damon Lindelof is having a lot of fun destroying an uninhabited island in the South Pacific. 
Uh-huh. Like, like he's like, like to the extent that leftovers is trying to wipe off the stain of his career, and he acknowledges that lost, that's right? that's his. He doesn't endorse it, but he acknowledges that that's more or less his career narrative. Mm-hmm. This is a man atoning for his past sins. I think it's super funny that he's 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 nuking the memory of Lost in this episode. Right, he's doing it with all the same elements of Lost, though, which yeah. is a little scary to me. Guys running through hatches, and, mm-hmm. yeah, there's nuclear bombs, confined to wheelchairs, like, and yeah, yeah, it's a little, a, it's it's on the line of maybe just going a little too far with some of the the strange happenings. Is this a dog man? It could be. He looked awful hairy. Could be a dog man, but his name's Lion. How does that oh, line up? Better, better uh, a live dog than a dead lion, they say in the Bible. So they do. Uh, so uh, uh, I'm not familiar with the yoga. Was that position used to turn the key a downward facing dog, perhaps? Uh, it's the double key turn. It's yeah. du- <laughs> it is. That's the official name. Um, so, I mean, I've, other than the glaring design flaw... Which is the the the, the Russian the, the the French failsafe being something that a human body could literally like I'm I'm sure the designers didn't think of this but right. like hey can we get a six foot two person in here can you just read okay we got a I know we only have a certain amount of width to work with in this this fucking um uh a uh, 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 submarine yeah. but we got to do something because put them uh, on opposite sides of the wall I don't. Yeah. Like between put glass between them, right? So you can see the other person. You could do the countdown. There you go. Three, two, one, and turn, but you're not in the same room. There you go. Yeah. Easy solution. Yeah. It seems like it. Yeah. But this is Unless you drill a hole through the glass and get your arm in and (laughs) Yeah. But you know, glaring design flaw aside, he now it makes it it makes it sound like that he actually launched a missile. Not that he blew up the. My, my first thought is he blew up the submarine. No, no. So he no, he, launched launched, a he, he launches a missile and he takes that's, out this uninhabited yeah. island. That's what I think. My biggest question is why does he have and to that, get naked to do this? And that's the explosion. I mean, first of all, he's clearly lost his mind. You think so? Well, to the extent that okay, to the extent that Matt has lost his mind, I guess. No, I. I mean, they both believe in roughly the same thing. That's what I'm, and I have no problem describing all these characters as as mentally disturbed. Okay, that's my. That is my. And Matt's gotten naked before, so yeah, I think we're I think we're good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also think there's maybe he just didn't want. Um, he didn't. He he wanted free unrestricted movement. Yeah. I, I imagine unless you're in some really good jean shorts, you probably yeah. can't make that. Those stretch. French submarine overalls seem like they they but they bunch up in the crotch. You couldn't oh, yeah. get full extension. No. Uh, and he he needed that full extension. He needed every every inch and toe that he could he could put on the the thing to get his paws on the button. Yeah. Uh, but that's obviously the explosion, the detonation we that that shut everything down at the end of last episode. Yeah. And my first question watching this episode first time through before I had read the translation of this prayer or anything mm-hmm. was what does this nuke have to do with the story mm-hmm. at all? But I think if you look at it in the context of this episode, um, it's yet another of the wrinkles of God's plan here, right? Like whatever it is, whether it's the universe, whether it's a higher power, um, this is just the the chaos of events that play out to create the scenarios that we're living in. Yeah, And... I don't know. It, it's a lot like that episode of Fargo where they they say the point is there is no point. Yeah, the useless machine. Right. Um, See, I, it's, it's similar to that in that you don't have to understand why this is happening. It doesn't have to be directly connected. It can still affect the outcome and be satisfying. 
See, I think I took a, to- a totally different take on that. I think that this is telling like like this is the in- like imagine a- another version of the leftover to set in France. Yeah, yeah. And this is Tommy. Right. And this is the season three finale of that particular story. And and we're yeah. fully invested and we believe in the demon egg theory and and we're highly sympathetic to to what he's trying to do, this this pea lion guy and and, and we, we cheer as the screen fades to black. Mm-hmm. In the exact same way this David Burton character is God, in the exact same way that uh, you know, uh Fraser the Lion is being worshipped by the sex cult. This is just some random stupid bullshit that people have that, that a single person has made a connection to and is trying to ward off the end of the pot. And it's and we're supposed to, at least the, the message I got is this is all insanity. This none none of this means anything. Right. I mean, the random stupid bullshit, as you put it, is exactly what I mean. Like, right. this isn't connected to Matt's it's journey. It's you're working the dance, the rain line or right. the the song line. It's yeah. uh, it's it's Kevin jumping into the the reservoir. It's yeah. It's these people fucking to Fraser's memory. It's it's all a bunch of stupid shit that doesn't make any sense unless you've invested in it. Yeah, I mean, it's the the gr. Burning the town in season one, right? right? Or however that happens, right? Because they, you know, to in their in their mind, that all made sense to them, and that's what they should right. do, obviously. So, and it's probably not related to you know some kind of over overall like story that they're trying to tell here, no. other than it's a it's a tangent kind of showing us what's going on in in the world. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple things that have shaken my non faith. Um, like it's it's hard for me to understand because the thing about this David Burton guys we've seen him before mm-hmm. we've heard him talked about on the background of television um uh, Laurie's book publisher mentioned this crazy guy in Australia uh, but we've seen David Burton twice before in the International Assassin Hotel. The, I think the guy on the pedestal in Miracle. Well, he sent a yeah, he, sent a letter he, to him. He he entrusted Michael with a letter to be sent to this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, we also saw him on the bridge when Kevin had the the young manifestation of um, Patty. Yeah, and he says you either you're, you know kill yourself or push the child in the well. He's in the International Assassin he also, episode in the hotel. He's a, and he's the, the one bar. that leads the the karaoke. Yeah, uh, and he also one of the biggest outstanding mysteries of the leftovers is he whispered something in Kevin's ear once Kevin makes the uh, this firm decision to murder Patty, mm-hmm. the child version of Patty, which we don't know what that I, was. I am God. <laughs> I am God. Yes, I am God. I'm Yahweh. Um, his name is like you know. His, his name Yahweh literally means I am I am what I am. Mm-hmm. It's the Popeye phrase. Um, I think so. Oh geez, boy, this whole David Burton thing is going to go down at Garden Pass. Should we do it now? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to do this without spoiling any future events. But um, one of the interesting things that David mentions is that he asserts that the real Christ, the quote unquote real Jesus Christ, was a twin brother. And what had happened was uh, Jesus died. He was put to the to the the cross, the stake. I almost said the old witness coming out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was buried in a cave where he moldered away, and his twin brother appeared on the screen to. Uh, to to take over for him and then become worshipped as a god is not the clearest explanation for this that perhaps David Burton has a twin brother who did the exact same thing 
Possibly, yeah. Now, outside of the cave, you're the, talking about the things that make this theory work is that if 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 these visions that Kevin saw are real, it would neatly explain why he's seeing David Burton in the afterlife because the real David Burton is dead, and now what's left is this imposter who's claiming that he's God. Uh-huh. Um, there's a lot of problems with this theory. Number one, how in the hell would you ever? You, you, your friend sees that you've fallen off a cliff, and he puts his body behind this cave, and then he goes off, and he comes back, and the twin's there. How would he know it? Also, how would a famous Australian who's a broadcaster and an Olympic medal winner, mm-hmm. how would no one know that he had an identical twin? Right. These are questions. This is why I think that this the literal fulfillment of this theory cannot be true because those things are just, I would, I, I think those are insurmountable for any person to over overcome. Yeah. I actually think the easier explanation is he's somehow like Kevin. Hmm. Cause we've seen Kevin. I, I mean, so, you know, it's debatable, but I think we've seen Kevin die. And that would explain times. how he's bumped into him in the international hotel because right. he's doing the same kind of death experimentation that Kevin is perhaps doing. Yeah. And I don't know what it means that he's similar to Kevin. I don't even know what Kevin's Kevin yeah, means right. at this point, but right. uh, they could be similar. But, but that I, I, the the thing that is the biggest assault against my rationality on this show is I can't explain how the fuck without there being a real supernatural, well, uh, uh, an actual supernatural explanation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see how he could see David in his dreams, and I don't see how he could make contact with his father, hopped right. up on Devil's Tongue. Yeah, that those both are the ones. I mean, it's it's it it's just possible to him to, for me to to dismiss the fact that he would see his father and they'd have some kind of joint you know delusion and right. and uh, but but this guy, I don't, I don't, I can't imagine. I can't yeah, a imagine guy he doesn't how. even know. Yeah, yeah. Now, they could, like, in a flashback, you could see that, like, maybe he was on the screen and that, that Kevin was, was watching kind of absentmindedly. Like, they could mm-hmm. they could retroactively. I would think that's a little – that would be a little cheap. Yeah. But I could see them doing it. But it, it does seem like that's the hardest evidence and, and maybe the unassailable evidence that this is an actual, you know, supernatural thing happening. Again, aside okay. from the, the Great Departure, yep. the <laughs> sure. Departure, because yeah. people love to bust my balls on that. There's already been a show. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. I've watched the show from the beginning. I love David Burton. Ex- David Burton's explanation for it. Why'd you do it? Because I could. Right. Like I don't. I don't need a reason. Like if yeah. you're God, you don't need a reason. Why'd you make a horrifying Leviathan, which most people think is like the uh, saltwater crocodile or something like that? I, because I could. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. I. <laughs> that's the thing. Like. People go through their lives doing things because they can. What would make God any different? You know, why does God have to have some grander plan for everything? It's very true. It's he, very true. He wouldn't. So. A lot of people. I don't think a lot of people thought this through. Yeah. Uh. Anyway. Uh. So. So. Have, is there anything else we need to talk about as far as David? Uh, he, why did he throw a guy off the boat? Because he could. Because As he, he started could. believing his own press and he's like, hey, there's a guy. I could get away with this. The captain's my friend. Everybody's on this boat fucking. I'm just going to murder this dude. Maybe he wronged him. Maybe he did something terrible to David Burton. Mm. Episode six is going to be entirely from David Burton's perspective. And we're going to find out that this guy <laughs> actually tried to murder a twin baby to cure cancer. Uh-huh. And uh, are we sure David's dead? Uh, not totally. He, I've seen I could, Kevin come back from worse. Yeah, that was going to be my one of my questions too. Do you think he'll be back? 
I mean, the lion mauled him pretty good. It did, yeah. But it got people him in the lived neck. through worse, and also that seems like the lion is immediately executed afterwards. Mm-hmm. Which boy, that that really's got to be a harsh come come down from your your post all night sex buzz if you're a <laughs> a, <laughs> a Frasier fan. I felt like they maybe hesitated killing the lion. Yeah, I don't know why a... there wasn't immediate firing of those of those weapons because yeah, he's clearly gonna pounce on this guy yeah. and murder him. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just like something so weird that you don't. But yeah, you'd think a police. Uh, and these aren't American cops or Australian cops. Maybe they right. they don't they don't they they don't pull their pistols for just anything. Maybe they don't even have. I don't know. I'm just making shit up. Maybe Australian uh, patrolmen don't even have like guns. Like they'd have to literally go well, back to I, their trunk and unlock. We something see and, we see one of them pull a gun. Oh, did they? Okay, yeah, when well, David jumps over the there the go. fence and the line gets loose. There you go. One of them immediately Plus pulls a gun, think, but he waits. Like like even the the British police that don't normally carry firearms, if they were there to apprehend a murder suspect, I'm pretty sure they'd send a squad that was armed. Like they're not oh, idiots. Yeah. They're not fools. Yeah, they just don't carry guns as just you know just to patrol the fucking streets. <laughs> right. Um. Well, oh, one more question about David. Yeah. Do you know anything about his book? What book was he reading? So he's re- re- reading the the like Louis Amore or whatever the fuck his name is. It's just the like he just wrote endless amounts of western and westerners western books. And mm, this okay. is from a series, a particular series of his. I did a little digging. It didn't seem like there's anything interesting about it. Hmm. Okay, just God reads romanticized westerns in his spare time. Why is he so concerned with the book? Is yeah. he or is he just passing time? Well. I- I mean, the first thing he asks when he gets wake when he gets knocked out and wakes up is where where's my book? Hmm. Matt I mean, says I threw it overboard. I mean, that's like I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I could just theorycraft, just make shit up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. I, I, I don't. I, don't have I think an it just. It, 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 I think it mirrored. I took it as his concern for the book and Matt's disconcern is mirrored with uh, seniors, you know, lack of concern for Matt's gospel. Mm-hmm. Like it's just yeah, you know, like I found a book and I just threw it overboard. Yeah, fuck you and your book. Uh, that's pretty mean. Of course, I guess Matt's dealing with a guy who's not only a blasphemer but a murderer as well. Yeah, he seems so. I can stuff. see why you would hold your his book in in contempt. Um, can we talk about the significance of twenty thousand dollars? Okay. I, I saw a couple of posts about this. This is a this is a this is a magic number that is coming up in Lost. Uh, sorry, Freudian <laughs> slip. Uh, the leftovers again and again. Uh, so Matt gives this character Arturo, who's a licensed NGO, non government organization, relief worker, pilot, twenty thousand dollars to fly him to Melbourne. Uh, Kevin Senior hid twenty thousand dollars in a tin can for Matt um, underneath the grill. To gamble with yep. And- Matt gambled that $20,000 to try to buy his church. Nora smuggled 20000 out of the U.S. when flying to Melbourne. Yeah. Why? Why? Uh, I, I can't think of any good reason. I can't either. Um, uh, it seems like an insignificant number. You know, if you if you look at biblical uh, writings, I don't right. think 20 is, or even 2 is a very significant number other than, like, Noah's right. Ark. But yeah. that's really a stretch. And I think that's literally, like, I'm not... I think that's just them thinking that that's what you need to propagate a species. Right. They didn't understand genetic diversity and, and functional extinction and things like that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think it's it's weird. Um, there's a lot of, like, the, the Bible has its own kind of, like, lumps, so like 30 pieces of silver. Mm-hmm. 
seems to come up again and again. It's what uh, uh, I, I can't remember all the, the uh, all the mentions of thirty pieces of silver, but you know the most the the one that jumps out of my mind is that's what the Pharisees used to bribe Judas to betray Jesus and the the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I just I just thought that that um, that that did jump out that maybe it means something. I just don't know what it is. I don't either. Okay, what else do you want to talk about? Uh, there are several prayers in this episode. That French one at the beginning is not the only one. Um, there are a couple of Hebrew prayers. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about th- their religion, so I can't. I have speak feedback to what from, they are. from the wife of a Jew. You do? Okay. Yeah, that might because um, it's it's uh they're particularly Jewish prayers. Did you say that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The Hebrew prayers, but sure. Right. Right. Okay, KDP says, I'm sitting here with my Jewish husband watching a show, and he's going apeshit over the song played while Matt and company are flying in Australia. The song is called Avinu Malakanu, which I probably just butchered, mm-hmm. uh, not a native Hebrew speaker, which he's heard every year since childhood begin- during this period between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur at services. It's sung daily during the high holidays, and most importantly, during the last service of Yom Kippur when the gates of heaven are closing. Could it be their foreshadowing actual judgment day? In Judaism, it's the very last day a person can be written into the book of life. Very symbolic. So, yeah. I mean, it's possible, especially when combined with the other prayer with the demon eggs, right? And the fact that this is, you know, the the seventh anniversary is imminent. Yeah. Uh, definitely, definitely. I thought that was, was pretty interesting. I mean, the, you know, the, the this idea of the monster that's being born... Um, in the French prayer mm-hmm. with, with seven heads and seven flaming mouths kind of ties into the revelation right. um, story. And That's the, how Satan's depicted as a seven headed dragon. Right. Right. So potentially, I mean, this is all, this is all meant to connect in that they're all prayers about the, the coming, uh, you know, if, if it's not judgment day, then it's the, the coming closing of heaven. Mm-hmm. This is, this is the final moment to get in. And once the seven years is up, it's done. Let's talk about the opposite of prayer, which is a curse. Mm-hmm. Um, here, Lori takes in vain uh, Christ's name, and she says that Kevin's not the goddamn second coming of Christ when they're on Arturo's plane, which immediately hit heavy turbulence. It sounded like it lost a couple thousand feet. Frightening experience. Uh, yeah. Made Matt at his smuggest this episode. Um the friendly people on Reddit pointed out that's not the only time something like this has happened. Last season, Nora is trying to single-handedly hold everything together. Lily, she's trying to take care of Mary. Mm. She turns on uh, Matt's music, which n- neither her nor Lily liked. So she turns on this radio show where a guy is talking about how you got to deal with things by embracing Jesus. And Nora destroys the radio and says, fix that, Jesus. Instantly, the ground shakes mm. and Mary wakes up out of her coma. And then in season one, um, in the episode where Jill uh, kidnaps the baby Jesus, Kevin uh, takes uh, the, the God's name in vain and suffers a blowout right as he does it. Um, anything to be gained, to be gleaned from this, people taking God's name. Oh, and also Senior uh, telling God to fuck himself and having an, a, a lightning rain, storm yeah. get whipped up. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on how much you think uh, God is influencing the events of this series and i i i think the point of this episode is to say not at all you know <laughs> like if you believe that david burton is god um he essentially says look i'm not doing anything for a reason 
and nothing you're doing is influencing my plans. Right. So knock it off, you know? Hmm. Um, it, I don't I think they're all just coincidences, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Someone said, I, I, I can't remember who it was. It was I just, cause I read so much material on this episode, but someone said that it, it, the f- actual facts of the and the language of the leftovers doesn't matter so much as its emotional yeah, and symbolic sure. meaning. Like like that this experience with Matt, like like analyzing the actual facts of it is beside the point because it's supposed to put in your mind the feeling of what it's like to be a fanatical believer. Absolutely. And like they're showing tons of counterexamples where uh, a, a thinking person or a rational person would be like, oh, Jesus, look what I've got myself into. But yet Matt steadfastly ignores all of them and stays to the purity of his own of his own course of action. Um, I, I don't know. So maybe none of this means anything. Yeah, and, and intentionally so. I mean, the it's not about what it means. It's about how you view it, how you interpret it, and how you react to it. How much of Matt's mania comes from the fact that he's dying? His cancer has come back. We don't know how long he's got left, but um, this isn't something very Job-like, the fact mm-hmm. that he has lost his profession, he's lost his family, and now he's even lost his good health. Yeah. Um. I mean, that's got to make a person a little bit of a fanatic, right? I suppose he realizes that his time is drawing short and he's got to make some things happen, which is unfortunate because it sort of feeds right back into his original problem, which is that idea of selfishness and um, jealousy and trying to force some meaning where there is none, you know? Does it also give him a little bit of... um a heroic bent because I think in his mind, if he stays in miracle, no matter what the doctors say, things will work out. Mm-hmm. But he goes on this rescue mission to try to find Kevin forsaking that safety. I mean, I, I don't see how Matt just thematically makes it out of the season alive. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense that, um, we haven't, that this is the first time we've seen, you know, his sickness. Right. Right. Um, now that he's out of miracle. Mm-hmm. It could very well be that Miracle is something special and that by leaving it, he's taking a big risk. If he doesn't get back in time, he could die. Were you surprised that he managed a fairly filthy joke? Yeah. No, I I want to hear the rest of Lori's joke, but I think that was a pretty good one. Uh-huh. Yeah. I've looked, but, but that's the thing. Like, I've he's looked a it priest, up. To, he's the panda hear. walks in the bar. I guess that's a canonical joke, and it's uh-huh. not very dirty. It's not dirty at all. Not very dirty? Yeah, Panda mm. walks into a bar. Well, it's probably good that she didn't get to say it then. Or, or order something to eat, uh, finishes his meal, fires a gun twice in the the uh, the air, and then starts to leave the bar. And the bartender's like, what the fuck, buddy? You're supposed to be this placid, you know, monochromatic animal. What the hell are you doing with all this gunplay? And he's like, I'm just being a panda. Look it up. So the guy goes into his encyclopedia, looks up panda, and one of the first things he reads is that a panda eats, shoots, and leaves. That's not joke. That's, <laughs> that's not, not a dirty joke. It's not dirty. No, it's kind of funny, but it's certainly not dirty, Lori. <laughs> not at all. You might be a lioness, can do whatever the fuck you want, and be ungoverned by rules. But uh, one of those, one of the rules you apparently are governed by is you got to tell a dirty joke. That's not a dirty joke. Yeah, I'm glad she didn't get that one out. Matt's was better. Yeah, uh, I don't think the lion lady's letting her on the boat if. She tells that joke. Also, also at his own expense. You know, he's uh, yeah. he's not a Catholic priest. He's a Lutheran. I mean, that's right? the thing about everything Matt's doing here is he's completely ignoring all of the principles that he stands for in an effort to attain some 
visualized end goal, right? Hmm. He is... Why li- is he going against what he stands for? He's trying to lie his way onto the boat. True. Michael points it yeah, out. We're yeah, not yeah, fucking yeah. friends of the captain, you yeah. dipshit. Yeah. You liar. This is going to get us like, yeah, I don't want to be thrown in any kind of brig. Right. It's like... I mean, he's... Naval jail is so special as his own name. It's nothing I want to truck with. I don't think he should even be around this orgy, uh-huh. let alone... Because it's almost a... An endorsement of it in ways, you know? Jesus ate with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. I think that's pretty thematic. Yeah. He probably shouldn't Christ. be taking a minor onto the boat. Mm. I would say that. Is Michael a minor still? I think he is. I, huh. I want to say he was like 16. Well, I guess that would make him like yeah, 19 Yeah, I'm saying now. like I wasn't, yeah, never mind. wasn't he drinking at the party? Like I thought if he's a senior in high school, like 18, then three years on. Maybe. I think maybe Australia has a Different legal <laughs> ages as well. Yeah, on a boat. On a boat. Well, you're in international what? Yeah, water. Come on. What does that even mean? Come on, you're not even in. Yeah. You're in Tasmanian waters, <laughs> right? Everybody, we're lucky. This wasn't a boat full of people in tornadoes going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, so you're damn right. I made a Tasmanian devil joke. All right. Um, okay. All right. What else we want to talk about? Uh, this is, yeah, all over wh- the place. What is what is the hedonism on display here? Trying to to tell us. I mean, what what is what is its purpose other than just to be weird? I don't know. Like Damon Lindelof in this interview seemed awfully proud of his peen count, and I'm kind of okay. proud of him too because I've long said that there seems to be a double standard in uh, American pop culture. It is you can show full frontal female nudity, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, dicks not so much. Like if you do the 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 uh, the, the breast and cleft count versus the, the the dick count in Game of Thrones, there's there there's one team that's way ahead in the counts. Sure. Um, and, like, he's kind of, like, joyously pushing. Like, he's, he saw the Westworld and the shit that they were getting up to in the, into the, the border areas of the park and decided he's going to try to one-up them. Okay. I honestly, I, I don't know. There's, a, I guess, a Sodom and Gomorrah parallel. There's, like, a Samson parallel where this guy's trying to bring down this whole thing while he's in the midst of all this debauchery and... And, and, you know, uh, well, I guess it would be false God, not anti-theism. Um, I, but I, I honestly don't know. I don't – I mean, the other thing is, like, Matt almost got raped? Harvested? Yeah. Harvested, I would say, yeah. Like, I, 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 I was like, what? My, I was scared to death because when they, when, they, when they wheeled out this wireframe line, I'm like, holy shit, mm-hmm. they're going to put Matt in there and everyone's going to take turns fucking him. That's what, yeah, that's what I assume too. Uh, I was actually kind of relieved, but it's like, okay, it's just but, a vacuum hose. You can get through this, Matt. You can get through this. But he wasn't having none of it. Right. No, I, of course not. Of course like, not. He, this man is not going to go through that. Matt, Matt, Matt is a powerful man and he will not be violated. He, yeah, he. It's against his religion to be violated. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, especially with some kind of an, uh, an, an, animatronic lioness. Yeah. So the impression I get is they're they're going to collect all of his seed, uh, and potentially impregnate everyone on the boat. Right. By the end of the the evening. Yeah, and like that seems like a big like. I just feel like that nine tenths of every word said on the boat after midnight is Fraser. But it also okay. felt like that's the first time they broke out the, the, the lion. So, like, what are the rules of yeah. Fraser Club? I don't know. I mean, don't say Fraser. That's right. Line one, yeah. rule one. I'd like to know the. I would like to know the actual challenge and response to. I'm 91 and I've got no son. Yeah. Maybe it's just you sing the rest of the song that they had at the at the end of the episode. 
Maybe Did so. you know that this? Something did we about talk it. about the fact that Fraser the lion is a no shit thing? Oh yeah, Fraser, ninety one year old lion who, I guess, was in Tijuana and they took him over to California Zoo and he banged all the lionesses there. I mean, the story is even more pimp than yeah. the episode makes it out to be because, like, some of the stories are like I don't because I. There's a lot of weird details. Like he was mm. taken to like some, some kind of hippie commune zoo. So like I don't know if I believe everything, but like a cuddle party. The way, yeah, the way the way this is told in the telling is that this 91 year old lion uh, is taken to this this enclosure with all these lionesses that spurn all comers. Yep, and he gets one night with them, and they're all fucking cum drunk and like protecting him the next day, and they're feeding him the choicest of straps and essentially worshiping like some kind of god. That, I mean, and he didn't do it through any kind of just with the like just with his fucking lion dick power. <laughs> Got to give it up to the guy. Lion dick power. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, not his truthful. Not I'm, I'm. I'm just saying, like his species. I'm not saying he's like. I was not impugning his veracity. Like he had a false. Oh dick. yeah, no. Not his lion dick. His <laughs> lion dick. Um, impressive, impressive story. But yeah, no, it's uh, everything it Lori means, says is totally true. Yeah. Um it happened in real life, right. I guess. Uh and there are multiple songs written about it. There's there's one specific song written about it that I think they play in the episode. There are a couple of cover versions and mm. even like a disco version of it. Right. That I also think they play in the episode. Yeah. They play a couple versions of it. Yeah. Uh, and apparently it cost them a lot of money. Yeah, to I get read that. that article about this is the most expensive episode because they actually all that CG, oh, all that submarine nightmare. stuff was CGI, and they had to build a fake dock uh-huh. for the ferry to land on. They built it on a barge, and they actually rented no out Melbourne a ferry to dock. film on, and and they had all these extras who I guess are swingers in an Australian like mm-hmm. uh, fetish scene. Uh, yeah, sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like a lot of work, a lot of work by everybody. Yeah. All night long. <laughs> Do you think the captain was a true believer in David? He seemed pretty skeptical. I don't think so. I I don't know. The, the way guy, he told the that way story. the guy just stood and delivered and the fact he was so skeptical of him being a murderer and the fact that he seemed kind of bummed at the end when he was essentially saying, "Oh yeah, I guess you were right." I kind of feel like maybe he was a disciple of David. Hmm. Because he also enigmatically at the end said, you know, some people believe and some people don't. Like, yeah. I kind of felt like there was a twinkle in his eye where he might be the one of the people that believes. Yeah, I don't know. The vibe I was getting was not one of I believe in David Burton. Hmm. I believe in God. Uh, there was it, but I mean, that was definitely another of the themes of the episode is the belief because, you know, like there, you know, yeah. Matt. Matt had this fantastic story, just like the fact that he got his, you know, his wife that was in a coma was pregnant, and he maintained his innocence all throughout the season. We debated it a lot on the episode, and and uh, you know, uh, it was actually mentioned here when he was talking to, um, uh, shit, what's the Mur- eldest Murphy? John. John, yeah, he's talking to John, and you know, John's like, oh, absolutely, I believe you. He's like, oh, did you believe me? Like, I, you believed I didn't rape my wife. Um, I just wonder if that was part of it too—the fact that this captain was a, a true believer, maybe the crew, because the the guy yeah. who was talking about apologizing for God punched him in the face. Like, I mean, I guess he was kind of wry and ironic, but he—I didn't get the fact that like, oh no, there's just no way this guy's God. This guy's a joker. I I actually believe that that guy thought he was God. Really? Yeah. Huh. But for some reason, I didn't believe the captain did. All right. I don't know. 
Maybe I would like my authority figures to be more rational. <laughs> uh, why is the woman who's infiltrated this lion cult, why does she let the lion go at the end? Are they animal activists? Are they anti-Fraserists? Are they... That's a really good question. They could have infiltrated the Fraser group, but she's she's the one who's taken, taken the roll call at the beginning, right? Like, she's guarding the gate. No, that's not the same. Not I the think same it's the woman. Same person. No, 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 it's not. Trust no, it's that that woman's much younger than the one that was kind of the gatekeeper. Okay, then maybe they infiltrated the group. Um, decided, I, I guess we're going to participate in this all night sex party uh, as a cover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or maybe that's the it's a tough job. If someone's got to do it, may, right? Maybe the cover for the all night sex party is letting the lion loose at the end. <laughs> like one of the dudes really just wanted to go. Yeah, Cause it the seemed like you, if, you, if you weren't down on that, you had to fend off advances all night long because yeah. like there was that scene where there's this couple's wandering back into the main fray. Matt's going out and they're like, don't. And she's like, says to, to, to Matt, don't bother those two referring to John and Lori. Cause they had clearly been propositioned. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's another thing that I find really interesting about Matt's conversations with, uh-huh. uh, David Burton it's you know how mocking he is of this idea that he hasn't been struck down by lightning yet um he that's the thing all of these sarcastic questions that he's throwing at david burton like how could you possibly be god mm-hmm. are questions that you could throw at kevin right yeah and and matt would defend him to the very end um you know this is truth i've seen these things he's experienced these things and yet when it comes to some other man's claim about the same things matt is incredulous yeah um, it it feels very much to me like the Man from Earth. Do you remember that movie where mm. it's a bunch of people sitting in a room and a guy oh, yes. says, "I'm yes. super old. I'm like fourteen thousand years old, and uh-huh. I'm Jesus." By right. the way, right? Um, and and he kind of like takes this kernel of uh, disbelief, this idea that he could be as old as he says he is, and in this case, David Burton could be God. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of has an answer for every question, even though maybe they're not the answers you want to hear, right? Like. Uh, and the man from Earth, he he essentially says he's Jesus, even though he's not like God's son. He's just mm-hmm. a guy who got mistaken for mm-hmm. someone who was God's son. Right. Uh, here, David Burton is like, oh yeah, no, I died. Um, I'm God, and also like, eh, Jesus was just a dude. Mm-hmm. He he wasn't my son. You know, right. he's just a twin. It was a weird set of circumstances. Um, and and you know, he's claiming the sudden departure was his work which mm. is interesting. Uh, how much do you believe that? None of it. I think he's, uh, I think he's, he is reacting to his own circumstances and grief the same as Kev. I mean, he's literally an analog to Kevin and John and Matt, and Matt obviously can't see it because he's too invested in, in this thing. And right. I, also there's a theme, like, you know, talk about this theme of jealousy. There's also, like, this jealousy that Matt has that, like, you know, John is no longer the fiery crusader that he was. It's like you used to burn people's houses down for pretending to be things that they weren't. Mm-hmm. Now you are engaging that same activity and you're excusing all this others. Like kind of what happened to you? And Lori's quick to say, well, he found peace. And Matt is desperate to poke holes in that. But it does seem like that John is grounded in a way that that Matt isn't, probably because he's had Lori helping him get through a lot of this stuff because – I thought maybe John would lose his mind when, you know, it was revealed that Kevin saw Evie. Mm-hmm. And also low-key kind of like, why doesn't Lori just show the picture on her phone? Mm-hmm. Like, this is the person who he claimed as Evie. 
and everybody can be like, oh, oh, okay, well, obviously that's not. I mean, she could just instantly disprove Matt and and John both with that one picture, but maybe she's playing a longer con. Like, like, or you she know, doesn't think that would work because I yeah, can see like that's what I'm that's what them, I'm essentially saying that she's treating these people as kind of mildly delusional and and mm-hmm. your goal isn't to destroy their belief system your goal is to kind of help them appreciate in their own time like or all right I guess maybe your goal is as a therapist to get them healthy and resilient so they can let go of this coping mechanism when it's time to like you don't she, she is extremely confrontational in this episode though right. with Matt. Um, so if that's her goal, I think she's going about it the wrong way. Uh, but Do you I think she's extremely my, confrontational, like I, yeah. in the early parts. But yeah, she yeah. seems like at some point when yep. what really turns the tide is when she says, "Please don't tell John," and he's like, well, "What kind of person do you think I am?" Yeah. Well, he's the kind of person who's going to tell John when it suits him, apparently. Mm-hmm. But like, but she comes to the conclusion that he's a good person, and that seems to like put all their animosity aside. Uh, I want to talk a bit about just like the art of this episode, and in particular Christopher Eccleston, and how like good he is at doing this one particular thing, which is showing this kind of like um, this this virtuous madman. Um, I really particularly like how you could see him age regress back to that little boy in his confrontation with God, like like to the point where he said, "When I was a little boy, and I prayed to you." Like at this point, he's fully given up the pretense that David is not God, and he's just having a conversation. He's he's literally yeah. wrestling with God, um, and I thought that was amazing. And then at the end, where they show him after he can f- reveals that he's dying, and they show him in this like beautific light, like like this this um, like he's about to dissolve into white white light, and then they chose to show like this this lion attack with his his back of his head to us, yeah. And, like, they really build up tension because I'm thinking the whole time, like, it's, like, 10, 15 seconds. And I'm like, is is he going to turn around and have this broad grin on his face? Is he going to be shell-shocked? What's he going to think? And in the end, he just turns around and matter-of-factly says, oh, yeah, that's the guy I was telling you about. That's the God mm-hmm. guy. Uh, clearly addressing a horrified John and uh, 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 Lori, which I thought was interesting because I remember watching – this is why I think it's silly to say that the trailers are spoilers because we saw John and Lori looking a horror at something. We're like, my God, what could be the watching about? We saw Matt smack someone with the axe handle, uh-huh. but we knew nothing. We knew nothing of the circumstances of it. Right. And the fact that, like, you know, also the guy with this this paw on the button, we saw that in a trip. But, like, without knowing, like, that, that was just... Um, that's as significant as knowing that the uh, you know the cave woman is going to get bit by a snake or sewing some woman is going to get bit by a snake in in the season two opener. It's like mm-hmm. I don't know. It just it seems like it's beside the point if you're that worried about the plot of the leftovers. I don't know. I, I don't. Yeah, I, it's I'm, almost I'm like you. spoiler proof. Yeah, I, <laughs> the story is so weird at this point that they mm-hmm. could really do anything. So mm-hmm. it's tough to say. Um, so your interpretation of the ending. Um, I think there are a couple of ways of interpreting this. Maybe you can interpret it multiple ways. Um, one way, which I don't actually think I buy, is that God is dead, essentially, mm-hmm. and Matt has lost his faith at the end. I, I could see maybe um, if you're just considering that last scene out of context, but I think overall um, Matt has kind of... The interpretation I agree with is Matt has let go of this idea of making his own fate, um, of getting back to Miracle. Uh, he's still, I think, on the journey to help Kevin. Mm-hmm. But 
in the way that Kevin needs help, not in the way that Matt thinks Kevin should uh, act. Yeah, because so my – I don't think I answered this in our conversation beginning. The way I interpret that final scene is very similar to you that, like, Matt is, is surrendering his role in an active, as an active participant in this story. That yeah. he is a witness – uh, I mean, he's obviously a participant, but he is a witness. He might be a conduit. He might be a helper, but this isn't his story. And God, God's capable of taking care of his own damn business. Yeah. If God wants to avenge himself, then he can sit, let loose a lion. Um, if he can send down fire from heaven, he can strike someone with cancer. He can heal them. He can do whatever the hell he wants. Why is Matt so fixated on a being at a particular place at a particular time? If like. If God needs like humans, human play, anything but human faith, then you know he's he's kind of screwed anyway. Yeah. So like I don't think he's given up his mission. It's just he's right. now understanding. Uh, he he's been properly humbled by his experience in addressing the Lord, much like Job was at the end of his ordeal. Uh, do you think uh, is Matt healed? Uh, that's a good question. I don't think so. Why not? I don't think so. I think the snap and the I, you're saved thing from David Burton. I thought um, I thought he was going to get punched. <laughs> I thought he was going to get slapped. Because they kept yeah. on setting the fact that... He falls that, his fist and yeah, he's around. And he, I was like, like he's going to cradle his hand <laughs> and just square up and punch him right in his schnoz. Just <laughs> like like that's like Chekhov's punch. He did get punched yeah. in the in the solar plexus, but I was expecting the nose shot because they've been talking about it all episode long. Yeah. Uh, but he snaps, and I think that's curing... Uh, Matt, not of his leukemia, his illness, but of, you know, whatever preconceived notions he has about his role in this. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Okay, here's the ad, but you might want to skip it because it's something kind of unique this time. Uh, it's it's going to be around the, 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 the barn way to introduce the club. Uh, so Jim and I, at the start of the year, had an idea that we wanted to do this social experiment slash prank. We wanted to cover a television show... And do a podcast on it, but we were only going to watch the previously on and next time on segments they show at the beginning and end of every episode. Mm -hmm. The experiment was, can we do a good podcast about that? Can we <laughs> fool people into thinking it's a good podcast? Mm -hmm. What is the cognitive dissonance if you were a genuine fan of the show and you're listening to these two people that kind of, sort of, but not quite are getting what's going on in the show uh, and the 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 piece de resistance is we picked the new teen drama on CW Riverdale. Yep, the revamped Archie. This this was based on the Archie comics. It's it, comics is revamped. It's sexified. Archie's banging Mrs. Grundy. Uh, and we did it. We just did that. And it turns out you can't make a good podcast. <laughs> right. So then towards the middle of it, we just started simulating the downward spiral of amateur podcasts. We experimented with our sound. We experimented feedback. We we, we, we let our emotions really our, just, get, just the get the best of us. Best of us. Yeah. We, we did ill. We, we, we cheated on our predictions segment. There's like a lot of things that went wrong. And we chronicled. <laughs> and here's the point. Here's the, the, the club.baldmove.com tie-in. You'd be completely ignorant of all this happening because the where this experiment was conducted was on the VIP section of our forums because mm -hmm. we recruited them to give us an unfair iTunes advantage. We yeah. got a lot of extremely positive, glowing even reviews. So if you tuned into this podcast and you're like, these guys are – what the hell? Why do these have – why do they have a perfect five-star rating? I don't get it. Right. It was fun. It was fun. We had it was a ton of fun. Uh, we we recorded our research process. We recorded the actual 
recording the podcast, which essentially was me and Jim making stuff up about Riverdale, and mm-hmm. we were cracking each other up. Uh, we've heard a lot of positive comments about it, but again, this is the kind of stuff you don't you, you miss out on. Uh, these are kind of extra features. This is every time I, I was was talking about the cl- the club and then be like, oh, one of the the features the VIP forums. There's a lot that goes on in there. That's where we vote on community commission stuff. It's where we get feedback about you know how we're doing and w- new segments and new shows. It's kind of a vital part of the Bald Move community, and it's uh, it's catered toward the people that care the most, the people that join the club. So yeah, that that podcast. If you want to check it out, is called Ra Ra Riverdale. We masqueraded as Al and Joe, two amateur podcasters, first time podcasters. Yep. Uh, and we also recorded just for our club members a, a companion podcast called Har Har Riverdale, which was essentially explaining the jokes and and talking about the process and and I think it's a really interesting insight into where we like how we got to the end of that podcast yeah but that's only for our club members you can find that in the vip forums yeah but, uh, but if you, you want to listen to raw and and the, we we did they get everything seated properly we actually watched the first episode right so if you want to hear like what a bald move podcast coverage of the of riverdale would sound like that that's how it starts and then it just starts it, it goes descending into madness from there so that sounds funny or interesting, and in truth, I think it's both. Uh, you can check it out at club.baldmove.com. Don't forget, you get a month free trial. So uh, this is something you're super interested in. Sign up, check out the whole rah rah Riverdale experiment, and then uh, cancel. See, should you know, just uh, let's just take what we take what we give for free. Uh, but if you think it's worthy, then maybe stick around. Club.baldmove.com. Shall we get to some feedback? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, Mario D, uh, the actor David Gulpilili, who played Christopher Sunday, was in a Peter Wilf Weir film, The Last Wave, which features a white man suffering premonitions of doom. Yeah. Now. I've heard about this movie. If you remember The Last Wave, there was a lot of discussion about that because it has a character by the name of David Burton in it. Mm-hmm. And it's just like kind of like science fiction post-apocalyptic film. Um, it it does seem like all those things were intentional now because why would you you cast this guy to play Christopher Sunday unless you wanted to really lean into those illusions? Yeah, uh, I don't know that that it has any predictive power, but I did think it was interesting that they've they've put another uh, another piece of uh, narrative fabric around this last wave deal. Uh, Joe in, I think you're right. Nora is pregnant, uh, but I think she's still being tested. The final test is going to be them telling her to kill her newborn baby to go see her other children. They presumably being the test people. Uh, kind of kooky theory. She's going to be the Abraham yeah. to, to her baby's Isaac? Uh, to, she'll be the Sarah, uh, Abraham's wife to the baby Isaac. Um, Sarah didn't have to kill the baby, right? Sarah didn't have to kill the baby. Uh-huh. It's a gen- It'd be a gender bend on the classic. Right. Um, I, I don't normally read theories, but the fact that this would explain like it, it 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 ties in it ties into the 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 abrahamic whole myth yeah it extrapolates from the outcome there and you, you could also so. say like what if senior insists that kevin has to kill the child mm-hmm. like would that cause like and then what if laura nora's like no fucking way i'm taking this baby and then as she's fleeing the scene something happens the baby dies anyway and then mauled she's, by a lion 
she gets mauled by a lion, and then she's haunted forevermore and can do nothing but wander the Australian outback gathering doves for, for nuns. What if, what if? What if, what if? That <laughs> yeah. sucks. But I thought it was an interesting idea. Okay. Uh, Patricia T. says, I live in Melbourne, uh, Australia, and, and uh, the lane you're referring to with all the graffiti is called Hosier Lane. Many of Melbourne's iconic laneways have street art, which is allowed by the city council. You referred to Banksy in your podcast, and indeed, Banksy art is located in a few of Melbourne's laneways. Hmm. There is, in fact, a Banksy on Hosier Lane. Uh, she also c- submitted a wiki link to all of Melbourne's lanes in the CVD. We know we even have an ACDC lane named after the iconic band. Uh, as an aside, it was through S- Swanson Street in Melbourne. Melbourne. It's very hard for me to not yeah. s- pronounce it the way it's written. The ACDC filmed their iconic video. It's a long way to the top in 1976. Hmm. And, uh, and I actually got a lot of uh, your fellow countrymen and women saying essentially the same thing. It's just a real lane. It's real. And I guess that this is uh, like a historic district. It's kind of they, like gentrified and they've like encouraged this kind of like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. weird behavior. I wouldn't say weird behavior. This kind of uh, quirky behavior. Vandalism. Yeah. They've encouraged <laughs> Artistic vandalism. vandalism. They just gave up. They yeah, gave yeah. up and called it a community project. Uh, Jorge Blanco, thinking about the radiation, the way they found trace amounts of locations where people departed. How's that work if Lori's unborn child departed? That's quite the heist uh, without affecting Lori, huh? Um, this is the first time I've thought in a long time about the fact that Lori had an unborn child that apparently was departed on the day of the departure. Yeah. We haven't talked about We haven't pondered that fact for a real long time. Is that a silver bullet piece of evidence that rules out radiation? Ladder radiation? I don't know enough about radiation to fully say. <laughs> I know enough that you can focus on teeny tiny uh-huh. parts of people's bodies, the deep inside them, to excise a tumor. Are you trying to say that God couldn't use targeted radiation yeah. to take away the 2% of people born and unborn that he wants? I take it as a matter of faith that if there is a God, his technological development is at least on par 20th century humans. At least. At least. So there you go. I would hope so. Uh, Yonatan from Israel. Um, anyway, after I heard your brief discussion on the question the scientists gave Nora about the twin babies, I felt that you left something almost completely out of the discussion. And that is, what do you think is the right answer to the question? I thought about the different responses, and I think the most interesting thing is to ask them, how do I know who is who? It's a very logical question, after all, because they are two twin babies, possibly even identical twins. If I'm going to kill one of them, and I would like to believe that I would... I want to know that I'm killing the right one. I feel like it is a question that is relevant <laughs> to the departure and that there's a possible connection somewhere. What do you think? Uh, well, the reason I didn't discuss it is because I think there is no right answer. Yeah, I think it's all part of a further test. But... I, mean, I feel like we discussed it in the way of not discussing it. We both said that these theoretical questions are stupid. Yeah, I mean, whatever problem. answer you give them, they're not going to be satisfied because that's part of the test. Well, not only that, but like whatever answer you give in some kind of weird, hermetically sealed theoretical thought experiment is not. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not saying it's not the answer that you would give if you had your mm-hmm. paw on the button with the newborn's life and its balance. But how the hell? How the hell do you know? I can think of know? I can think of maybe one wrong answer, which is, oh, I've done this before. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I, I've got this. I've got this. Right. Yeah. Um. So I, I I guess I just didn't think it was that worth to explore. And the fact that the other guy got rejected by giving the exact opposite answer, yeah. was suppo- I felt like that was supposed to give us kind of a Rosetta Stone to understand that 
it's not so much the way or how you answer or what you answer, but it's the way you answer and then how that feeds into the other things that they've done to test you over the day. Yeah. Or it could just be something they tell people that allows them to dismiss them for any reason for any time. Like, Mm -hmm. you you know, so you ask a whole bunch of weird-ass interview questions and then you get to the one that's like the big deal now – that might that might actually make it tough because imagine um, if these people went on a message board and said, "Oh, whatever you do, don't whiff the baby question." Well, if that's just a smokescreen at the end that people can fixate on, then you preserve the sanctity of your test. Hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. That's that's. But I I just don't. I feel like all that like what would you do if there was a trolley cart full of people and you could pull a switch and kill them but save the bus full? Of, I, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? Let yeah. me know when that's actually happening, and I'll decide then. Um, Dave McBride, you mentioned – oh, no, this is a great – I laughed so hard when I got this email. You mentioned Camels and Surrey 81 was a regionalized view of Armageddon. But, in fact, the Australian outback has a massive problem with feral oh, camels. Of course they do. Yeah, we know all about we, this. We, yeah, I don't, we should have made this joke ourselves, but we did – like, before we got into television – we did a generic two guys talking about bullshit podcast called Blue Yonder, mm-hmm. and we did an expose <laughs> on the the scourge of feral camels uh, in the on Australia. How they yeah they're so desperate for water they'll eat air conditioning systems. Uh huh. Yeah, they roam through towns just sucking all the water out of air conditioners. Yeah, they'll eat your garden hoses. They'll do whatever to get that water to fill it to keep those humps full. Yeah. Uh, they were imported into Australia in the 19th century to assist transport and construction in central and western Australia, which is one big fucking desert. A large section of the population got loose, became feral. It's estimated there's almost one million feral camels in Australia. <laughs> yeah, don't they like? Don't they have like camel hunting seasons to go out and like oh, thin the population? He said a large cull occurred and dropped the population to 400. 000. They yeah. killed six. That's a yeah. camel holocaust. <laughs> it really is. Wow. It is. It's tragic in a lot of ways. Like, if the camels are going to take over, just let them take over. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Welcome your camel overlords. Why fight you the did future? It. You did it yourselves. You did it yourselves. I feel like the people who are out there killing 600,000 camels are a lot like Matt. They're mm-hmm. trying to create their own destiny here. And that's why the Great Barrier Reef is dying. Right. If you left those camels, if you, if you let... The camels, the camels wouldn't what, have let the Great Barrier Reef die, is all no, I'm saying. No, right, right. Yeah, yeah. They, their, their urine has a special <laughs> chemical that kept the reefs in tip-top shape. It did. Uh, Carmelita in California. I grew up obsessed with new wave music and watching MTV. I hope we just didn't really piss off. That might be a sore subject. What, the reefs? The Great Barrier Reef dying? Like, that's like uh, I mean, Yeah, it sucks. That'd be like if uh, fucking Washington's nose fell off of Mount Rushmore and like the world was like, yeah, ha, ha, you lie. <laughs> but I feel like that's a fucking you- George Washington got syphilis. We'd kind of be a little sore about it, I think. I feel like that's a global loss. The reason it is like Washington's nose. It's nobody a wonder but us of gives the natural. A uh, no shit wonder of the natural world. And in right. thirty years, it's going to be dead. Yeah, but I don't. I don't think that's the fault of the Australians. Like that's the fault of everyone. Mm. We're all to blame for that. Yeah. Washington's nose. I think there's there probably some. I didn't reasons. mean to make light of it. It's just okay. Okay. feral camels are funny, and killing six hundred thousand is <laughs> somewhat less so. And I was just trying to. T- I, just, I don't want to piss off <laughs> all, right. all our fans down under. Okay, I don't blame you. Sorry, they're a wild bunch down sorry, there. I'm sorry, I missed it. They have to be the fucking camels. Have you seen their throats? That's true. Their throats look like inverted cactus. Yeah, they're really gross. They really are. Google it. Mm-hmm. Google camel's throat and be horrified. Carmelita in California. I grew up obsessed with new wave music and watching MTV. Take On Me happens to be one of my favorite songs from that decade, and the music video is by far my favorite of all time. 
If you get past the upbeat synth and drum machine beats to analyze the lyrics, Take On Me is about two people struggling to connect and the fleeing nature of that connection. The chorus is a challenge. Take the risk to take me on, even if that connection can't last. Laura and Kevin weren't sure when they first met how or if they could fit in each other's lives after the loss of surrounding departure. They took the risk, but since then have both been balked at getting real about grief and madness that they're both living in. In that epic hotel fight room, Nora accuses Kevin of avoiding commitments, and Kevin accuses Nora of being afraid to have a baby with him because then she'd have to move on. Throughout the song, there are references to uncertainty, hiding yourself from others, taking emotional risks, and moving on. All of this could relate to Nora and Kevin's relationship and maybe about their ultimate fate as a couple. I like to think there's hope for these two if they can each face down their fears, but maybe their connection was only ever meant to be temporary. Um, as in the first verse, today's another day to find you, shying away. In the second verse, I'll be stumbling away, slowly learning that life is okay. Say after me, it's no better to be safe than sorry. Uh, it's yeah. a much better connection to the episode than we were able to make. Yes. So I like it. I, I uh, didn't have any special fondness for AHA. Yeah. Um, so thank you for that analysis. Gabe C., I also thought the U and Z slides and the ABCs of the departure. This is a, a recurring segment on our podcast now. Uh, just reminder, season one of The Leftovers, they had a companion site called Watching... Wait, what was it called? Watching The Leftovers. Watching yeah. The Leftovers. Um, and they did this thing uh, where they had an artist illustrate A through Z, the different alphabet of the departure. Uh, U and Z slides were particularly worth careful or looking carefully at. I know this comes off as totally over-analytical, but there's a few numbers on the side of the building in the U for Uranium side that go 238.029. Now, as an aside, that is the atomic weight of uranium. Okay. Okay. And I did look up the ABCs of departure, and that little shed that's in the shape of the bomb does have that number on the side of it. If you go back and look in episode four, around the 20-minute, 20-second mark, if you're curious, there's a second where Nora is getting off the bus at the last stop. On the window, long story short, it's reverse reflected from the building, but the numbers are 238.029 on the side uh, of the building that she goes into. The metal building, this image is obviously similar to the building Nora walks into. If you ask me, I think it was deliberately done to present obsessed fans with a similar question to the characters about distinguishing, interpreting coincidence, and meaning. Is this evidence suggest that those doctors are related to the uranium bomb themes that we've been presented with? Or is it all a red herring? I mean, after this episode, I'm I'm saying it's less likely that the two are connected. Mm-hmm. That the, the machine is somehow connected with the nuke, but... Well, but that's uh, the thing. Like, this is a pretty fucking deliberate connection. Well, here's here's to the that other old thing. Marketing material, right? And here's the other thing about the machine: we don't know where it is, right? It could actually be on that South Pacific island that this guy's trying to shoot with a nuke. Oh, that would be funny, right? So it's still possible, but I, I'm, hmm, it's a little more dubious now. All right. The Z slide, um, which is I think it's it's so the Z slide says zero. Z is for zero. Our final score. Our final score, and it has a picture of a deer that's looking up to a dove that is being skeletonized. It's burning. Yeah, it's, it's on fire, and dropping from the sky, and it's like a nighttime kind of scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also like a building on fire in the background with like there's like some stick figures, if I recall correctly. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of buildings in the background burning. Um. 
so that's kind of a dark way for this, the, the, this, this series to end. Uh, but I also think that this, he continues, the symbolic relationship between Kevin, Deers, and Dogs was established in season one. I think Kevin embracing his father, who he knows is crazy, at the end of this episode shows Kevin flipping to his deer side. And I also think it's safe to say the deer looking up at the burning dove and the image is symbolic of Kevin looking up at the end of the episode towards Nora and the burning building. Pretty solid. Okay. Um, I mean, boy, that would be a down. Like, I mean, literally, if the whole... It would be... Okay. How's this for an ending to The Leftovers? Everyone's fucking craziness ends up resulting in a nuclear holocaust. Uh-huh. Like, like this, this French shit is a provocation that eventually has the whole world being engulfed in a nuclear war and no one survives. Yeah, I mean, I can see that being a logical outcome of that this whole be, thing. I don't know what you learn from that. Like, I, like a I better mean, yeah. hope nothing like the Great Departure ever happens or we'll fucking lose our minds and turn back to cavemen with I'm, nuclear weapons. Right, I mean, it can be the cautionary tale, right? Like, mm. this is what happens when something you don't understand um, – is interpreted differently by everyone and no one can get over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, I just want to ask your thoughts on Jill's fall from grace or significance in season one. Sure. There's time constraints for the showrunners meant writing off some characters and college is an acceptable, believable excuse for her departure quote unquote from the show. But being a younger viewer, I uh, resented or resonated with Jill's character very much and not having her around leaves me at the sense of disappointment. Yeah. I mean, I I hate I I like Jill a lot too. I like the actor that portrays her. I thought she did a lot with a, with a little that was he- handed to her. Um, unfortunately, I feel like that we probably won't see any of the people in Miracle again. Um, I yeah. feel like that we were given shorthands to kind of know that they are okay, and now we are going to concentrate on the people who are still fucked up and broken. Yeah. Um, and Jill, I mean, happy happiness. The happy part of it is Jill apparently is not one of those people. Yeah, she's, yeah, she she's seems, moving on with her life. Yeah, it seems like it. I just feel bad for Michael because, you know, he had a good oh, thing going true. there. He did. Yeah. He did. Yeah, Jill seems cool. Uh, sorry, well, Michael. I, I imagine <laughs> him helping write a book about her father being Jesus yeah. would really harsh the relationship was. <laughs> Probably. Really be a barrier to them being being close. Yeah. Uh, David from North Carolina. I have very one important – wait, I have one very important question. Why do you guys think HBO has upped its peen showing in Game of Thrones, Westworld, and Leftovers? Is it art, or did they feel there was a big imbalance the first few seasons of Game of Thrones? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably the latter. I, I think HBO is trying to be, you know, a little more conscious of their image with, uh, let's say, younger, maybe more enlightened generations mm-hmm. of people. Um, and I think I think it is actually a reaction to to internet culture at large. Yeah. I and I tell you and what I don't think it's a bad thing. No. I think that Damon Lindelof has read or listened to every piece of criticism that's ever been written about him. Probably. Yeah. Like I just it just screams from the interviews and stuff and, and I wouldn't be surprised when some piece surprised if bald move is just a little bit because you know that's one of our Oh, you crusades. think so? Yeah. We we were under uh, penises are underrepresented in pop culture. <laughs> if if you knew that Mr. Lindelof was listening right now. Uh-huh. I'm going to be as respectful as possible uh-huh. to to Sir Lindelof. Uh, what what would be your message to him? What would you want him to know? Uh, keep cranking the the peen lever, man. <laughs> Crank it the like we got a lot of okay. yeah. Like honestly, to to bring uh-huh. balance to the force, the next two seasons of Game of Thrones, every male from the has to be filmed from the waist down naked. Every single one. Every single one. If you do those 14 to 13 episodes like that. 
every f- single frame we might have un- we we might we might gain gain balance. Then we can go back and be equal opportunity dick and tits uh, community. Right. N- new series from David Lindelof, David Lindelof, uh-huh. and and his brother Damon Lindelof. Uh-huh. Uh, the left unders, the left unders, yeah. the left offs, the left offs. It's it's it's, it's, it's it's what does a world look like if everyone's normal except for not wearing pants? <laughs> that seems. I think Ricky Gervais has made this series already somewhere. <laughs> I didn't think it's fascinating because. I've literally never seen a naked man run, and I've always wondered like what yeah. the mechanics would be. Like on occasion, I've ran nude, but I've never been. You know, it's always been like short. Something you're not doing horrific. A hundred, you're not happened. doing a like I was in the shower and I hear a crash from the kitchen, and it's just fucking whip the curtain open and start sprinting. Uh-huh. Um, and I've never been able to like study the biomechanics and like seeing a, a naked man run in slow motion. I thought was fascinating. Okay. I thought it was fascinating. I mean, everything you think is going to happen happens, right? Yeah. Is it paint? Do you th- I mean, it, uh, I, I feel like it'd be paint. I mean, I've ran in boxer shorts. I feel like it's it's approximately the Just same. Just boxers? That's a story. Yeah. Yeah. Or boxers and baggy shorts. Like, uh-huh. I feel like it's approximately the same, right? Mm. Boxers don't do any support jobs. They don't do support, but they no. they got to damp the motion. They gotta, they gotta, they gotta moderate. Suppose, they gotta moderate the bounce and sway. They have to. Really, I think they're just there to cover. <laughs> I don't think they do, do much no, at all. There are no, no stabilization devices. No anti-sway so. bars. No. We need to. We need engineered underwear. We have it, don't we? They're called boxer briefs. Mm. They're good. Yeah, I don't know. I'm thinking like you might need some dedicated, like like um, like like like. Uh, I like what they do with athletic supporters. If I could but say one thing to Damon Lindelof, we need articulated suspension. That's that's, that's, that's it. the ultimate. Yeah, we do it, Damon. Make it happen. Yeah, we we the next generation should be the first generation to not have their balls touch the toilet water when they get to be sixty years old. All right, can we do that? Can we fight gravity? Yeah. All right, make it happen. David S. The David Burton character embodies an interesting spin on the theme of faith explored throughout the leftovers. What if God exists, but He is evil? Is that the theme exp- explained, or is God I, indifferent or infathom- yeah. unfathomable? Yeah. Um, like in a Cthulhu sense. I always thought that's a valid take on the Abrahamic God. He's just like, – you can't understand him. It'd be like you know an ant trying to figure possible, out like yeah. a, you know what the humans are up to. Like they might think and they might analogize, and, but they would never be able to fathom what the hell we're all about. Yeah, it's surprising because uh, despite – David Burton throwing a man overboard to his death. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't view him as evil in this episode. I don't know what that says about me, but uh, I viewed him more as indifferent to the the woes of mankind. Yeah. Um, and whether, you know, I, I assume in this story he would have been the creator of mankind, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he needs to have an active caring role. <laughs> Yeah, progression. even as a believer, I always had a concept. I had a hard time with the concept of God being omniscient, omnipresent, and omniloving. Because, like, if you literally believe all the God stuff, like, you know how jaded, like, paramedics and doctors get? Like, sure. you know, you yeah. can't literally sob and hold every one of your patient's hand as they shuffle off the mortal coil. You would be a fucking basket case. Mm-hmm. Like, God's that on a cosmic scale. Like, all these things are happening in his creation. He's hand-tied because of this crazy-ass uh, celestial judicial case against Satan that's, that's right. ongoing litigation. He can't, can't comment about it. Mm-hmm. But it's got to be, like, if he's omni-loving, then it's just got to be it, – it's got to be 
you know, a fucking morgue up in heaven. The fact that, like, just, just how, how bad everything's going down here. Even if at the end everyone gets resurrected or in heaven, like, there's still the grief that you observe from the people that are down there. I don't know. Maybe maybe they treat it like a two-year-old skin in their knee. Like, they're sobbing. It's like, come on. It's not right. that bad. You're going to be in heaven soon. <laughs> right. Um, and the other option is, you know, you create a thing. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to nanny it. Yeah. I mean... Let it be. Let it do its own thing. Throw them in you know? the deep end. They'll figure it out. And if not, there's always heaven. Yeah. Ben T from the UK. Uh, I did love this episode and how fucked up the party boat was. It was like a scene from Westworld. But was my... it? Was it? I didn't think it was that fucked up. I thought it could have been yeah, more fucked you know, up, honestly. I. People are weird. Like, what? Yeah, you're right. Like, that's not the way normal people do. But it's an like, orgy. I mean, yeah, like, I've never participated in an orgy. Uh-uh. And it's certainly out of my experience. But I didn't think it was like... The like Caligula shit. That's the thing. <laughs> like, like I, I have not participated in orgy, but I, I've been familiar with people that have, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. Like these are like these people get off the boat, and it's not like they're orgy people all the time. That's yeah. just like what they do. Like the way you go, like the way a person would go to like a video game convention and like fucking put on their Halo shirt and you know smoke weed and eat pizza with their buddies all weekend. That's not how you right. live your life. Normally, yeah. it's just something you do to the like. Yeah, I thought that was, and I didn't think anything happening on the boat was particularly weird, except for the lion stuff. Yeah, the lion, like theme. the theme was strange, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the activities were pretty tame. I thought. I mean, you know, there's like a lot of. I mean, the, the thing that was there were people the, boning the, the, in the public. The kinkiest thing was trying to siphon off Matt's sperm right. for the elect the the, the robotic. Tiger, lioness. Yeah, that got weird. That got weird. But I could see it also being like super, super pleasurable if uh, <laughs> you know, if you're in the right mind space. If you're one of the the lions, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, if there's that's what you're there for. There's something kinky about these these lionesses harvesting your seed. Yeah, I think mean, we can all agree on that. Oh, we all agree. Yeah. Okay, so say we all. <laughs> uh, but my big question this week is: Do we actually think there will be some big event on the fifteenth? I was convinced early on in the series that there will be, but now I'm not too sure. When I first saw the line on the boat, I thought we were getting some kind of arc messages, but that soon got extinguished. David Burton as God didn't pan out. It didn't seem to have any real significance. Uh, there could well be some religious significance for a lion eating God, but I don't know. I'm curious to hear what you guys think now after seeing this. If you're like me and actually starting to think this is all coincidences, that Kevin actually got mental health problems, like Lori says, uh, that there will be no event on the 15th other than Kevin Garvey being murdered by his dad via drowning, or is there still a possibility that Damon was just using this episode to bring us back to Earth before smashing us with something uh, truly end of days and unexplainable? I think there's going to be something cataclysmic that happens. Uh, I think this why is re- are you laughing? I think this is a reversal of what I said before uh, okay. a couple of episodes ago, which okay. is why I'm laughing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's going to be something cataclysmic. It's going to... it's. It's going to go off, and whether it's man-made uh-huh. or whether it's some divine purpose, uh, yeah, I think something's going to happen on the 14th slash 15th. I feel like the set of all things acceptable and unacceptable for the ending of Lost is starting to converge with me. Where you like, because so? I, I was just thinking, like, if nothing happens, I would think that would be satisfied. If yeah. the world goes up because of some nuclear war, that would be satisfying. If everyone from the leftover, if everyone that departed just returned that would be super fucking interesting i think it's the and, least interesting i've seen that it's a 4400 oh like, see i haven't so okay um I, I i'm just like a global flood like a localized flood that these characters think is real but it's not mm-hmm. that's all kind of interesting and I, yeah. I i i keep coming up with like aliens i guess aliens is the most hackneyed but yeah. i mean i don't know it satisfy my uh rational 
uh, my rationalist. Yeah, there think, is an explanation for all this shit. I think aliens and everyone coming back are the least interesting to me. Um, right. I would rather see nothing happen or the fruits of our own, uh, you know, lunacy mm-hmm. coming back to haunt us. As long as he cranks, or potentially the, another supernatural event. As long as he cranks the D lever to maximum, everything will work out fine. George S. That exchange between Matt and Burton hit me in the feels. It's a conversation many believers have had internally. All this has to be for a reason, right? Tornadoes, hurricanes, disease, famine. Are these all truly God's will? It's so important to be able to place responsibility unknown on something. The idea that these things just happen can be maddening to someone that believes in a higher power pulling the strings. That is the importance of a belief system, to know that everything we do is part of a bigger scheme or plan. That's always why I think people shouldn't shatter other people's beliefs. Unless we are harming one another, does it really matter what we tell ourselves? Maybe what this episode suggests is that we have to respect the many different conflicting beliefs in the world, but also be more than just a belief system. At the end of the day, we must be able to live side by side anyway. I mean, that's certainly true. As long as that set includes people that have no belief, because, you know, that's... That is one of the exciting things about being a secular atheist is you get to wrestle with all those things, and there is no right answer. Mm-hmm. You just have to kind of make whatever thing, meaning in life, makes sense to you. Um, I've also been shocked at how many atheists it's kind of get spiritual when they rap with that, rap with that question. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, they, they talk about, like... Uh, you know, the fact that we're made of star stuff and how odd. It's like, why is it? Okay. It's awe-inspiring. I don't know that it's spiritual, But that's though. that's only awe-inspiring. Why is it awe-inspiring? Why is any random fact more amazing than anything else? You're of made of shit of that it? came from an exploding star. Because of the scale of it? I don't know. The, you're the made, time you're involved, made from matter that used to be involved. a superheated soup of stuff that wasn't... That why wasn't is a man neat? jumping one foot less awe-inspiring than a man who can long jump seven foot? Like that's also not. I can long jump seven feet. That's not awe inspiring. I doubt you can long jump seven feet. I can long. Fuck you, it's dude. Tough. I'll do. I'll, I'll wager. <laughs> I'll wager your next Chipotle burrito on the fact that I can. Oh, jump I can't seven give that feet. up. I can't. I'm afraid. <laughs> it's the only thing you know, precious it's, and dear. It's a matter of of scale, right? Uh-huh. I mean, seeing you know just how small we are as compared to everything that's out there, I think is awe inspiring in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. But it's that's what I guess the my in, point is the frontier, is, the infinite possibilities. You know, my my point is this: you've still got a person at the end of the day drawing a line and saying, "Oh, this is fucking awesome." If you think about it, mm-hmm. which is kind of like that is spirituality in a nutshell, isn't it? I don't think so. I mean, spirituality to me is something that is is outside of the context of what we like know and understand hmm. <laughs> as being like physically true. Last time I'm saying but is I, like if you start if you start spirit, pulling in the word spiritual is a like, weird word huh. like it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people I guess that's and true. I don't I, guess I don't true. know it depends on how you define it right? all right well I don't want to get in another religious debate uh, I'd rather engage in <laughs> penis debates <laughs> right um, but yeah I mean I don't know if the the lessons we all have to live uh, the, the thing I guess I'm worried about is I don't know that the lesson is we all have to live side by side with each other. Um, it does seem like this show is encouraging us to believe that there is some version of the truth that's more true than others. Like even as we're even as mm. we're openly kind of derisively mocking David and these lying people, like we're still as viewers of the leftovers taking Kevin and his bunch seriously. If if for no other reason than we care for them, yeah, and we hope they're okay. Um, 
so I, I don't know. I, I don't know how they're going to end up squaring that with this, like the fact that this is essentially an examination of how people deal with grief. Um, whether what you believe about humanity is going to influence that. Like, do you mm-hmm. believe the best or the worst about them? Because people deal with grief. They commit suicide. They abuse drugs and alcohol. They abuse each other. They do all kinds of harmful things. And those aren't to be lauded or held up as like, you know, they're, they're certainly something you, that people can understand and, and get help with. But it's not like those behaviors are, you know, amazing or worthy of like tons of study or reflection on, is it? Yeah, I don't know. Um, in a TV show? But Poten- what, potentially, I, don't, I yeah. don't know. But I'm saying, like, if we're trying to get if we're trying to get a larger a, lar- a larger takeaway from this, what you yeah, know. I, I mean, really, the the larger takeaway depends on the ending. I mean, mm-hmm. first of all, um, if I were to try and guess what that would be at this point, I would say um, it's something along the lines of just trying to understand each other better mm-hmm. and and humans and why they do the things they do, mm-hmm. um, and just trying to deal with you know, grief and loss. I mean, I hope that the, the, the moral of the story comes down to, um, you know, that, that, uh, that, that admonition that everyone that you meet is fighting a great struggle and to be kind to each other. Sure. Like everyone's dealing with a lot of shit and we shouldn't like, you know, if you ran into Nora Durst in any average, like shopping mall lot in America on her worst day, you'd be like, God damn, what a bitch. Mm-hmm. Or Kevin, you'd be like Kevin Senior, would be like, "What a fucking asshole!" But you know, we all understand and can like, "Oh well, you know, this is what's happening." And and if we yeah. can generalize that to everyone around us, that would the world would probably be a better place. Mm-hmm. Or it could be overrun with assholes like Kevin and Nora. Then what do you do? Then what do you do? You call them. You call them. You get the yeah. the counter camel forces from Australia and you sick them on all the assholes. Yep. Check the throats. That's how you know. Uh, Kevin P., was it just me, or did you guys also notice the symbolism of Matt pushing David Burton in a wheelchair and demanding answers from him? It reminded me of the relationship Matt had with Mary before she woke up, where he was pushing her in a wheelchair and talking to a comatose woman, expecting her to give it answers on hmm. initiant God can't. I actually okay. didn't make that connection until Kenneth uh, talked about it. Yep. Matt, Matt using a wheelchair for good and ill. Sherry S. All right, we got two negative takes. Starting starting to lose some of the faithful here, Jim. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I was extremely disappointed in this episode. Last episode was just okay, and this episode did nothing to improve my confidence in the writers. I found the performances to be flat, and the dialogue and the plot completely disconnected from what I believe the characters would say or do. Uh, hmm. I don't believe for one second that Matt would entertain that Burton was actually God. His faith was unshakable to the point that he let his wife and son leave him, but one orgy and a few nosebleeds later, and his mission and purpose is over. Everything just seems off. It feels like everything has suddenly taken a hard left turn. The choices the writers are now making just seem to be bizarre rather than an imaginative yet authentic glimpse into this bizarre world. A lion attack? Really? I'm so afraid that my favorite show, which has to this point been nothing short of genius, is going to blow the ending. With just a few episodes left, please convince me that I am wrong. I've always avoided watching Lost because I've heard how poor... Oh, well, you're not... Ah, that's the show that cannot be named. Um, so what would you say to Sherry, who's very concerned here? I I take issue because I find that most of her subjective opinions I see as incorrect. Like, <laughs> okay. And that's the, that's, yeah, yeah. that's the hell of it, right? Like, your subjective uh-huh. opinion is wrong, Sherry. But seriously, like, I think that if... 
if Matt knocks out Burton and he instantly converts to his worshiper, that would be a stretch. But I feel like that scene, which lasted for a long time, was to suggest that Matt was just completely disarmed by this guy's matter-of-fact answers to where he could... He started to, despite himself, entertain mm-hmm. and then got wrapped up in his own pathos and his own anger and unresolved issues with God that he couldn't help but use it as a surrogate. Yeah, and you got to remember this is a dying man, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's desperate. Who he's... thinks that the world, the weight of the world is on his shoulders, just yeah. like Senior. Yeah, he's extraordinarily stressed out, mm-hmm. um, and he crumbles. You know, he's spent, he hasn't slept in a very long time. Right. Um, Because he got no sleep on the plane, no sleep on the boat. Uh, He's been in this atmosphere which has got to play havoc on his senses and his sense of who he is uh, in a lot of ways. He's taking some kind of pills that suggest that he might be on some kind of chemotherapy or... Right. Um, Who knows how it's affecting his body, but he's he's a broken and desperate man by the end of this. Uh And I think that is always when Matt has been at his most interesting, right? Is when he is on the edge with the struggle of his faith. And I think in season two, we saw a lot of that, mm-hmm. uh, which was fantastic. I mean, the Matt episode was maybe the best mm-hmm. of that season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's back to it in this episode. And maybe, just maybe, he's finally come to some kind of realization that he can't continue down that path. Yeah. And all almost every series, with very few exceptions has a couple of episodes that they have to do a certain amount of arranging the furniture to get you to the next emotional punch. It's very few shows that can just be pow, 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 where everything just seamlessly flows that, uh, you know, a lot of this emotional resonance that we have with a show like The Leftovers is is pent up frustration and, and pent up emotions that finally gets released with the characters. And we experience this catharsis, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to build tension and, and some of this unrest and, 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 and ennui that you're describing might be some of that, like intentionally, you know, we need this episode of Matt to, to really sell it when something with Kevin happens later. And we needed the episode with senior and we needed these episodes to fully understand what comes next that they might be not super entertaining by themselves, although without exception, I thought every one of these episodes have been beautiful and, and, and super watchable. But um, Yeah, I mean, you definitely don't want to give that to a show as an excuse to kind of coast for a while, right? Right. De- definitely don't want to do that, but it is but necessary in a lot of cases. The, the problem is, is you can't often diagnose coasting from piece setting, from pieces moving on the board until you look back. Because... Right, I just mean those pieces need to be engaging, and I I agree with you. I think they oh, yeah, have yeah. been right um, to to the most uh, to a large degree. Yeah, I mean it surprises me that this far into the to the leftovers experience, we're having people that are this down with with the thing. But on the other hand, since they know it's coming to an end, I feel like number one, it's a subjective opinion, so no one's wrong, no one's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, um, there is a lot of pressure. Like if this is your favorite, if you're like me and you say this is your favorite show, certainly in, in recent memory and the one that's emotionally connecting you the most, the fact that and and the fact that they've satisfyingly ended the other two seasons, if they don't do it this time, it's going to be like a cruel joke. Yeah, I, that we have I, this, this un, unfulfilled feeling inside of us. It's never going to get where we kind of made peace with it before and now. What I feel like the fans who have a lot of expectations as to what they want to see at the end of this and yeah. how they expect it to end um, 
whether that be on an emotional note or a specific event, I think those people are a lot like Matt. And what you need to do is just let it go. Like this series will play out the way it's going to play out. And if you're looking for a very specific set of circumstances at the end, you're more likely to be disappointed. Yeah. That's not the same as saying you can't have expectations because I do have expectations for how the series will feel when it ends. And my expectations have been set from the previous where I've always felt like that, hell yes, I could use more leftovers in my life, but I feel very satisfied. Mm-hmm. And I've always analogized it like eating a, a a big meal at a very nice restaurant. Like, I would love to come here and eat again, but I'm full right now. And uh-huh. I'm leaving this satisfied five stars, 10 for 10, wood gorge again. Um, and that's what I want to feel like at the end of this. I don't, ca- I don't know what that will look like. I don't know what that will feel like, but I do want to feel full and satisfied. Yeah. And yes, it, I, I would always be want late leaving more than than less, but that's that's the feeling that I want to feel, can, that contented feeling. And they've done it two, they've done two out of three times. Yeah. So depends on whether you're a bear or a bull. As far as <laughs> what do you what do you think about those odds? Uh, J.J. Johnson. It looks like Lindelof is finally quote unquote lost. The look, the feel, the stretching to find the satisfying end to story of episode. Uh, uh, of this episode all felt like the last couple seasons of Lost. There was even a submarine. With only four episodes to go, there's no more room for this crap. I think Lindelof might have had the same weakness John Grisham has. He can create very interesting situations, create a story with intriguing conflict, develop characters we deeply care for, but simply can't resolve the story in a satisfying manner. In fact, what Lindelof should do is create a show, run the show until the last season, or maybe halfway through the last season, and then have a fight with the network and get himself fired. Someone else could finish the show. If it goes well, then great. If not, then at least it's not Lindelof's fault. I I mean, Lindelof thought he was ending The Leftovers every single season he's done it. And he's That's done true, a good yeah. Jo- that, I mean, I feel like it's unfair at this point to bring all of the lost baggage in. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's, you know, cue the people saying there was no problems with loss. Loss was perfect. You guys just don't understand it. Whatever. Um, two out of three seasons have ended in ways that I found were very, very satisfying. Um, he could he could cock it up, but it's not like this show had a three season plan. Mm-hmm. And that makes it distinctly different from Lost, where they maintained they had a plan. And in the end, they didn't. So. Um, I don't know. Like I, uh, how do we know that this stuff is wasted with three episodes to go? We don't. I, I mean, the, the the plain fact is we don't know yet. I mean, we can right? meet this. We could. Kevin could get suffocated next episode. We meet this French guy in heaven with David, and they're all fucking each other, lion style, and it's all going to be the most amazing thing you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh. And and then we'll I mean I I don't know like will you'll feel good foolish uh, the other thing that the other thing I always hate to see when fans do this this early on um, is then you sort of invest in the failure of the exactly. show exactly yeah exactly like you've staked your claim this is going downhill now you've got to see that through right like like that there's this 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 internal bias to where you know since you th- see of yourself as a clever uh, student of pop culture that you saw this coming and that. You want it to be true, yeah. because if it's not, then you weren't as clever as you thought you were. And right. I mean, I've done that to myself. Yeah. Uh, I've seen other people do it uh, all the time on the internet, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it it sucks. Which is why I try for the things I really want to enjoy to really limit my expectations and to keep an open mind. 
because yeah. I've, uh, you, you can otherwise fuck up stuff that um, you might otherwise have enjoyed. Yeah. So, but on the other hand, I, I mean, again, I'm, I'm also open to the idea that this thing could be very, very disappointing. And again, this is a show that is just not for everyone, right? And yeah, and especially when it gets weird like this. Yeah. I mean, this is a very weird episode. Right. So I can understand why some people who may have been on board through season two and part of this season might not be down with this. Yeah. And you will always have the first two seasons of The Leftovers, right? Right. Man. Like, for the people that, like, think that the final season of The Wire is a misstep, you've always got the first four seasons. Sure. Like, just pretend season four never happened, or season five never happened, or, you know, just watch the part where Bubs goes up the staircase at the end and pretend like that was at the end of season four, and you're, you're done. So, hmm. I mean, like, you know, the prequels didn't make Star Wars suck. Right. They just were bad prequels. Yeah. So if season three of The Leftovers sucks, then the first two seasons will still be good because there was no plan. There was no plan for this third season. So, um, I mean, I, far be it for me to encourage anyone to have faith, um, but I think it's warranted in this case. Both uh. with, like, like throw out Lost and just a pedigree on this show with this creative force and these writers, um, you know, and the fact that, like, I'm not... I, I don't have any vested interest in making in this being good um, because like I, at this point, um, if the leftovers ends up sucking hard, it will be probably as popular and entertaining to cover the collapse as it would be the everyone's, you know, singing its praises. Right. Okay. Like yeah. we're here for the fan base and, and, and we're fan like we're not the type of fans that will deny the thing being objectively shitty. Mm-hmm. If it turns out that that's what it'll be. Um, I guess I am starting to wonder, like, what happens if the final show's over and the fan base is sharply divided? I mean, we have to talk, like... Yeah, it's it's rough, because, like, I am sort of invested, because I think Lindelof has a lot of really good ideas, and he's a great storyteller and character builder. Right. And I want to see what he does next, and I want him to have the right budget, I want him to have the right and support. And this is seen as another creative right. failure, yeah. quote-unquote, that, that is going to might hurt. not ever happen. Right. Because yeah, you know? Hollywood's fickle, man. Right. Really fickle. Yeah. You don't um, get second chances a lot. So I guess I am a little bit invested in this at least being accepted as critically, mm-hmm. uh, well accepted critically, yeah. even if the fans are not totally on board with it. Right. But, I mean, that's the only thing I can promise. Like, regardless of how it goes, um, and I, I said this to someone else, your voice is going to be heard. Like, mm-hmm. I, we're not the type of podcast that squashes dissent. Right. Um, yeah. Even when we don't agree, like these two emails, uh, we, we, they're definitely we, – like, that's the reason I always say we're a fan-first podcast. We try to cater to all of the different types of fans, mm-hmm. you know, that a show might have. There's disillusioned fans. There's happy fans. There's fans that say everything should stay to status quo and there shouldn't be – There's like, and we, we try to talk about all that. If someone's got a voice and is saying it – then and you know they actually the other thing is like if they actually you know support their arguments if you just say something's sure. bullshit then whatever why is it bullshit that's important but yeah. Uh, yeah I mean it doesn't matter to me either way like if Lost is good or Lost is bad as a podcaster it'll be entertaining to cover it either way um, but I I, I hope suppose so good. to to a point oh I mean but I mean that's the thing like if some if it sucks really hard it'll be good to have a megaphone to talk like that'd be that'll be very cathartic to talk about how bad it sucked I guess I just don't do people listen to that I suppose so oh some, of some course people they do. do of course they do we know they do 
Like when there's a bad episode of Walking Dead, our numbers skyrocket because everybody knows that we'll fucking like ream it to death. So yeah, like no. I and I, if something's really good or really bad, I feel like everyone like like I, like if there's let's say there's like let's say there's ten leftovers podcasts um, and that is really good and or it's really bad when it finishes up. I imagine that the average podcast listener will probably listen to more podcasts that last week than they would of otherwise in a season. You might have your favorites, but then at the end, like you want to get yeah. all the perspectives and you want to make that moment last, or you want to struggle to comprehend the bullshit that you just saw. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, from purely, uh, <laughs> uh, from, from from purely just you know mer- mercenary podcaster perspective, I can't see it being bad for us, whether it's good or bad. So I'm not going, and that's all to say is like I'm not going to sugarcoat the truth or hide the truth or hide those perspectives. Yeah, that's the only pledge I guess I can make. All right, that's a pretty long-winded way of uh, dealing with the people that are not 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 digging the show right now. And I hope you guys do. I hope everybody gets right with it, uh, especially Lindelof and Parada. Uh, we will be back next week. If you'd like to send us feedback, it's leftovers at baldmove.com. Or you can go onto our forums and talk with your fellow fans at uh, forums.baldmove.com. Uh, we'll be back. Three, only three episodes left, man. Yeah, that's it. And the show's over uh, for good. It's a shame. But, yeah. You know, well, we say the show's over for good. Who knows? Maybe they'll the come movie. back with season four or Here a movie, movie or, I don't know, a cartoon uh, Saturday prequel. morning yeah, prequel. I want to see a whole season about the Garvey's at their best. Yeah. What about dog people? Mm-hmm. Might maybe see it from the other side of the yeah. equation. Yeah, Planet of the Dogs. <laughs> right. That's what takes over from Planet of the Apes. That's that's where this is all heading. Yeah. Like Caesar gets put in his place by when the when the time of dogs arises. Yeah, I'd probably watch that. <laughs> all right, that's we'll, it. We'll see you guys next week. Yep, see it.